Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Joy to be with you today and to open the Word together. And my wife, Cassie, right here, sitting down front. Wave, everybody. And it's been quite a ride all these years together. And uh, the please pray for us. I lead a group called Vision USA Church Planting, and God's given us in our network over 600 new churches since 2007. And so we're very pumped about that because in the church planting world, that's typically not what's happening. So God is blessing us in ways that we obviously don't deserve, but is a lot of fun. Oh my goodness, it's fun. So share some of that from this passage in First uh, Peter chapter 2 as we look together at what it is Peter's driving our mind to. In your bulletin, pull out the half sheet because it has, if you want to follow what I'll be sharing, it's there. But the other side is, of course, the critical box to be thinking and praying about, because it's where we're going as a church family. It's where we are, it's where we've been, but continuing to perfect and, and pursue this, that by 2026, our church will follow a pattern of spiritual formation in one another that brings hope to broken lives where individuals and families pass on a spiritual heritage. Now, that's just awesome. Kathy and I travel a lot. It's no longer fun. And, you know, we're in a lot of churches. And we're excited about being part of the family here because of where as a church family we're going. Uh, it's, it's not always out there, just so you know, in case you wonder. <laughs> it's not always out there like that. So check that out. Follow me as we share. Look with me in First Peter chapter 2. Uh, you'll go back to the picture of Jesus. That is what we affectionately call fishnet Jesus. It's a statue outside of, on the campus of Ashton Theological Seminary. That's the Sandberg Center in the back. In the middle 2000s, I spent a number of years there. And I would often, on a day like that, because that's when I took this picture, I would go out and I would stare into the eyes of Jesus. Because it's on a pedestal and it's about a six foot, I don't know, you know, I don't know how tall Jesus was, but they got him about six feet tall and a good American. And I would look into his eyes. And I would do that because, you know, I grew up in West Alexandria, Ohio, if you know where that is, and went to Twin Valley South High School. And most of, even my adult life, when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, you know where my mind went when I would fish in Twin Creek or in a pond around here was a hook at the end of a line. And I try to think about Jesus telling me, Tony, you're going to be a fisher of men. (sighs) That thought was overwhelming. I love this because then I realized what Jesus meant is we're fishing with nets. Now, you and I don't do that, do we? I don't know, any net fisher people out there? I've never done it. I've seen it done. But that's what Jesus is talking about. And I want you to think about this picture as we go through this passage together this morning. Because when Jesus wants you and I to be fishers of men and women and teens and kids... This is what he's talking about. Throwing a net out, pulling it in. You don't know what you have until you open the net. Some of it you keep, some of it you don't. And that's what Peter talks about here in chapter 2, is that idea. How some things fit like that and other things don't. So join me. I have the message up on the screen. Uh, I'll be reading from New American Standard when I read out of my Bible. So here, uh, Eugene Peterson does this. So clean house. 
Make a clean sweep of malice, pretense, envy, hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up and mature and whole in God. Therefore, put aside this list. I don't know about you, but lists, that's all I need is another list. And so this list, put, us, put away malice, put away the times when I respond poorly in a difficult situation. I know that never happens to you, but you know, it happens to me that I'll be in a difficult situation. I may not respond the best that I could or should. Put that away. Put away deceit. Put away the times I lie. Put away hypocrisy, the times when I try and cause you to think something about me that may or not be true when I'm trying to control you and how you think about me. Put away envy when you have things I want. Put that away. Put away slander, the times when I'm just speaking bad about you or someone else. Peter says, put it away. And like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so in it you may grow in respect to salvation. It's if it means since you have tasted the kindness of God. Peter's not questioning if his readers had. He's saying, like newborn babes. And I have two kids. Our oldest, uh, Heather, is married to Matt. They have five kids, and they had number five at Thanksgiving. And her name's Gracie. And we just saw, through the beautiful things of video and technology, we just saw Gracie this week. And in two, over two months, she is so big from when we saw her when she was born. And she's so big and growing because... She's drinking the milk for mom. And Peter's telling his people, saying, we need to do the same thing. I asked the question in the outline, what are the steps I'm taking to show my hunger for God? How's that going? Because the growth happens that way. Gracie is getting bigger. She's growing. The other four kids have grown because that's where it began. Peter says, be there, grow in respect to my salvation. And then he says in verse 4, and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. You see the message up there as they go through that. It's just a beautiful place of seeing what it is that God is doing in us and how powerful it is because the things that he calls us to, the things he's preparing in us are indeed amazing. There is fruit that God has in your life, in your life, that is utterly amazing. Peter says we're living stones my backyard, you know, typical field stone. A stone has been prepared for building. This is the living stone Peter's talking about. This is you. This is me. You see, you don't have to get prepared to be this being put into a building that God is building. This is already true of you. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, this is already true. You're not this, where something's got to happen to make it work more effectively. You're this. You're a stone that's been prepared. 
And that's so exciting because God is working something and you're a key part of it. This next picture shows uh, some cornerstones. That's in Jerusalem. That's the back of our son's head, Philip. But you'll notice on the corner there on the right, the bottom, how straight it is. It's a little important that the cornerstone is straight for a building. Notice as it goes up, it dog legs left. It doesn't matter up there. It is far less important what it looks like as the building goes up, but what matters is down at the bottom. Jesus is that cornerstone. These next couple slides just show the size of some of the stones. That whole stone there is one. This next one shows the western wall in Jerusalem where I had just stepped away from praying there. Didn't know if I was allowed to take a picture or not, so I did it anyway. Because at the western wall, you often write your prayer down, then you cram it into the cracks. That's all that paper is. The stones are huge, but the point is, Peter's saying, you and I are a prepared stone, a living stone. That's who we are. That's what's going on. And so as you think about who you are and you think about what's going on, you are utterly amazing in the hands of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we were in the south in uh, Alabama doing a training because uh, we have this process called GSC that we use to start churches. It costs nothing. We use these people called gathers who are not evangelists. That's another conversation for another time. But we were doing that training there, and this, this young man, 30, 32 years old, as, we, as I did the training, I noticed him because he would start walking up to me. I, you can always tell when somebody wants to talk to you. He was walking towards me, but the first time, you know, our oldest grandson ran up, and, and he turned around walked away, and I noticed it. Next break, same thing happened. I, I noticed that, and I, I respected that man. Didn't know who he was. When everything was over, and there's only five of us in the building, he comes up and he says, my name is Chuck. And he says, I've only been walking with Jesus for about three years now. And he held his Bible up and said, I've been reading the manual. I've been reading the manual. And he says, I don't get this. He was pointing to the building. Because, of course, they're not mentioned in here. They're great bases of operation, but buildings aren't mentioned here. He says, I don't get this, but I get what you're talking about. Because what he understood was being a living stone. What he understood was that he's a priest. You're a priest. Pastor Dan's not more of a priest than you. We're all priests together at the same level. And you know what priests do? Just connect people to God. That's all priests do, biblically. They just connect people to God. And that's who we are. And that day we were driving home, Matt and my son-in-law were driving together, and, and he said, Tony, do you know who you were talking to just then? I said, Chuck, because that's all I knew. His name was Chuck. Come to find out he's a master sergeant now in Ranger Battalion at Benning. If you know Ranger Battalion, you kind of know what he does. He's a specialist in that field. And we've since learned he's part of our network. He's doing stuff in Ranger Battalion. He's being a priest in Ranger Battalion. Of all the people in the world that need Jesus in their life, it's our guys in Ranger Battalion. He's there doing that. He's starting things for us in our network because he understands he's a priest. He understands that. 
verse 7, as we look at 7 to 10, let's look at it on the message. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of, but to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. Hmm. But you are the chosen ones by God, chosen for high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made in you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That's your story, isn't it? From going from rejected to accepted. That's my story. That's what Jesus has done for me. And as he's doing that in all of us, it's the crazy opportunity to just see, do you know, and I'll ask a deeper question, do you feel how special you are to Jesus Christ? Most of us don't. Take it by faith if by no other way. In America, we've got this thing, actually it's worldwide, but I know it well in America, that because of so much negative thinking, sometimes if I want to go out those doors, I don't have to open them. I I think so little of myself, I can slip right under the door. I think so lowly of myself. Well, Jesus Christ has said something different. Jesus Christ has said, verse 7, this precious value is for you. You are an incredible value. You are precious to Jesus. And I am sure I will never be able to find all the words to get across how precious you are to Jesus Christ. And so whatever you think that is, without arrogance and pride moving in, without that being part of this, you and I still have growth to go in understanding how special we are. New American Standard puts it this way. Oh, before I get into verse 9 from New American, realize that on the one hand of how special you are to Jesus, there's going to be people that are going to just plain break your heart. People who you desperately want to know Jesus Christ, but to this point in time have rejected him. All we can do is pray and share and wait for God to keep doing what he's doing, right? But in the midst of all that, it's so heartbreaking. Don't let that disrupt you. Don't let that throw you off of how precious you are. Because it's that preciousness that God's going to use to help bring them to him. And so us understanding this is critical. So that verse 9, I'll be reading from New American Standard here. For you are a chosen race, the God of the universe, the God who made everything there is, who could do everything, anything he wants except sin, says this, does this. You, plural, us, we're a chosen race. Hmm. See, it's God speaking. It's one thing if I say it, yeah, who cares? God says, you, me, are chosen race. A royal priesthood. Okay, this is so personal, it's not funny. God is driving deep into your heart and mind that I and you, we are a royal priest. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. Okay, 
the God of the universe has chosen to possess us. And that means he wants to be with us. Because of Jesus Christ, you are so valuable, you are so precious, you are so dear. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But sometimes, think of fishnet Jesus, sometimes it can be intimidating, can it, to think about, well, how do I tell someone the gospel? Do I use the four spiritual laws? Do I use the Roman road? Do I use, you know, the path out of John? <sighs> what do I do? Well, please note what Peter says. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the only thing God wants us to share about him is to complete this sentence. Since you've come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what do you love about that? That's what God wants us to tell people. It could be two words. It could be two books. It doesn't matter, but the key part of this is to understand how precious you and I are. Because if I don't think I'm precious... That answer gets skewed, doesn't it? When I understand who I am, when I understand how precious I am because of Jesus, the story is different. It's the way it should be. And what I want us to understand is how powerfully God's done this. And what we love about what we do, and so I'm going to show you some pictures of stories, and I want you to understand that every story I tell up here has been done by you. It's not been a clergy-driven thing. It's been done by church family, which is how God designed it to be, because this is who we are. Living stones prepared to be part of a living building that God is building. So some of these pictures, I want to tell stories. Went to Bahamas. Yay, went to the Bahamas. So I go to the Bahamas. This is where I go. We drove through where everybody else goes, and it's really pretty, but I don't go there. <laughs> so we go there. 30% of the population of the Bahamas are Haitian. This was a church. This is in that Sunday afternoon where a church that was closed three years ago for lots of issues that I can't begin to tell the story because I don't have time. They closed the church. This is the restarting of that church among the Haitians in this neighborhood. The left side of the picture is the same size of crowd as... We had been going that whole week to talk to people to relaunch this new church. That was a lot of fun. This next picture is in Haiti and traveling with these guys. You go to Haiti and you get in the van. You have no idea how many people are in there because it's a much higher number than you realize. And you're just praying you're in the front seat. That's all I can tell you. So anyway... um, I thought we were there, but you see on up the picture, we went up the mountain about another half mile, three quarter of a mile up. That's where the new church was that had just been started. Had an incredible time up there meeting the guy that was running that new church. This is outside of Cap Haitian in the north. A lot of new stuff happening in Haiti, a lot we don't know about because communication's challenging. Next picture, this is um, Preble County. No. <laughs> Pastor Dan wanted me to do that. I didn't think of it. It was a brilliant move. This is Preble County the last couple of weeks. Actually, it's uh, Bethel, Alaska. So you think of Alaska, there's Anchorage and the Kenai Peninsula, the road system. 
This is the southwest side. There are no roads. There's roads in Bethel, but there are no roads outside of it. So we, we, of course, fly there. Getting stuff started there with the native Alaskans, Askabaskans are mainly the group that lives there. The car is on the Susquehanna River, which is a river about as wide as this room when it's not frozen. It's a major salmon pathway. And I just, I just, okay, that's cool. I don't know that I'd want to drive a car on, but they do all the time. Every time the number of days we were there. But stuff is happening out in the bush country of Alaska by you. Taking Jesus to start new churches in places where there's no church. This next picture, or this next series of pictures, I can't say that word. Because I can't have any type of electronic you know, internet place that we go to this place. And so these next number of pictures are this place that I won't say. That's why the name is printed for you. And we're going back. Tickets been bought. We're going back literally next month. And we've been working there for... I partner with a Druka guy who's been there since the mid-90s, but we've been going for about four years. This is what a typical church in that country looks like. This is a large one. It's illegal in this country to start new churches, which is why, of course... I can't have out there that we go there because if we don't want to compromise who we work with, don't want to compromise our next trip back. But this is a large one. This is the garage of a house in the major city of that country. And next picture shows same garage, the gatherer, the wife of that home. I've eaten that soup many times. It's delicious. She uses that to bring these people together. She gathered all these people together. This is about two months ago. One of those ladies, I don't know which one's, a 91-year-old lady that heard about Jesus Christ for the first time in her life at this moment. Next picture. Lady on the left in the light green, that's M. That's the lady I'm talking about. Uh, beside her in the, in the blue t-shirt with JCG, which is the in Spanish, what GSC is about. He's a gatherer. Um, the guy to his left is also one. The next guy in the striped shirt's a, a Mexican pastor. The next lady in the blue is the fiance to the guy in the t-shirt. The lady, the young lady in the dress that's on the right side of the picture, she's a doctor in this country. She just graduated from medical school in this country. She was in a school of a thousand students, and she was the only follower of Jesus Christ in the school. And so they wanted me to meet with these gathers to hear them and to encourage them in what they're doing to bring Jesus and start church where there isn't any. This next picture shows another guy that couldn't fit in, the guy on the right. So these five people, you, are just out proclaiming the excellencies of God. And people are coming to that. Found out uh, next picture, the man is the husband of the lady I talked about. His, we'll call him A. He's our main guy sharing this process we use across the country. And found out uh, about six weeks ago that since we were there in May, uh, God has started 32 new churches in this country, across the country, through, this is another city in the other end of the country, and the person's house has my first name, so it's easy for me to remember and easy for me to pray. 
because they started a new church about a year and a half ago, and they've daughtered twice already, and they're running about 80 or 90. I don't know where they meet because we can't fit 80 in there, but anyway, God is doing that. The next picture is the last one that Kathy and I were uniquely tied to. This is in Jacksontown, Ohio, which is east of Columbus, south of Newark. And two gathers are started this one, and it's so much fun. It's about a six-year-old church, but there's only 12 people come because it's tough soil. Oh, man, is it hard. It's crazy how hard the soil is. But they're working so well and so hard. It's inspiring. Ken and I were on a call with, uh, with Carrie and Carmen yesterday because we were going to work. Lord willing to make Carrie the formal pastor of this uh, church. Next picture. This is in Melbourne, Florida. Melbourne, Florida has two barrier islands. This is the furthest one out. So that road you see runs east and west. On the left meets the Atlantic Ocean. On the right is the Indian River. What this has done, the family on the corner, just, they call it picnic time. Every Wednesday night, they invite their neighbors to come to picnic time, and they bring food or they don't. That night, I think there were 50 or 60 people that showed up just to hang out. This is about two and a half years ago. They've since started a church with many of those people, but they still do picnic night on Wednesday nights. It's just a picnic table. They've added two more. Because people keep coming. It's just a picnic table. And it's a husband and wife who want to reach their street. That's all it is. It is Florida. So they can do it 12 months out of the year. A little hard here, you know, but for 12 months out of the year. But it's just a picnic table is what they use. Next picture. Uh, this is a church that Ken and I were able to bless to start back in 2010. It's a church plan in business. This is the real estate world. It's a conference room. We had to tap the brakes on it and pause it when we moved here because I couldn't find someone to take my place. The man in the front, Andy, took it. On the right side, the second person, Josh, he's the gatherer. He's a loan officer. He's Italian Catholic, which means he's active Catholic. And so when we met him in 2010 cast this vision, he bought in fast. He's probably gathered 20, 25 families to Christ over these years who've come to this. We open the Bible, they hear about Jesus, and they get saved. And all he does is invite him to come. Scriptures take care of the rest. And it's crazy, and they relaunched it. Ken and I were able to be there last Friday. It was so much fun because there's so many more people. They're doing so much better job than we did. I mean, that is always so exciting when you see children and grandchildren do better than you do. This next one is uh, a picture. Uh, Dustin in the front on the left is a pastor. All those people, except for the African-American man with the hat, because he doesn't go to church anywhere, they all work on Sunday, so they can't go to church. And so they're starting a Monday night church, I think, uh, this month. That's the point of that meeting. This was three weeks ago, was to lay the foundations for starting this Monday night church to reach people who literally, you invite them, they can't come because they have to work. And it's so much fun because these are priests who are out functioning in the name of Jesus Christ, moving things ahead, fishnet Jesus. Throwing a net out, pulling it in, hmm. What's there? What is God doing? 
In October, I went to Fort Worth, Texas to meet with a pastor. And as we met and talked, he told me the story, why he wanted to meet with me. He knows a friend of his who was hired by a mission group to, for a five-year contract to travel because there is, whether you've heard it or not, there are reports of thousands and thousands, some even use the word millions of Muslims coming to faith in the Middle East. So this man went to Iran to check it out because they don't want to tell a story till they verified the story. We don't want to be telling false stories about people coming to Christ. This man went, again, it's this pastor's friend, he's telling me what he found out as he went to each of the pockets of where massive conversions to Christ were happening in Iran, found out the way it worked, the way it happened, wasn't from an evangelist, wasn't from a pastor. Each time, it was this person called a gather, just this person who was a people magnet. They just brought people together. They were just being a priest. They were opening the opportunity for people to walk into a space they could share together, and they could find out about this person named Jesus. And they did, and they received him. And boom, you'll never hear about this on the news, obviously, but it's about priest. It's about someone like you. Church family, it's us. It's how it happens. That's what's true of you. It's what's true of me. It's what God is doing. The third section of what I want to do real fast is bring down one point. Uh, I'll just read from the New American. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's an intrinsic button in the discipleship world as we disciple people. That's what we're always looking for. How do we push the button so that your intrinsic motivation takes over? And you don't need anybody asking you, are you spending time with Jesus? It just happens. Because you put the intrinsic part of you takes off. The way that works for me, the reason I would, when I'm on Ashland's campus, I will go to fishing at Jesus and stare in his eyes, is because what I picture in my mind when I stand at the Bama seat, not being judged on whether I'm saved or not, but based upon what I've done or not done for him, in my mind, the way it plays out, Jesus doesn't have to say anything, just his eyes. Tell me what I need to know. I've looked into eyes where I've done incredible disappointment. And that's heartbreaking. I've looked into eyes where there's been sheer joy and excitement. That's what I want to see in Jesus' eyes when that day comes and I stand before him. I just want to look in his eyes. That's a part of my intrinsic motivation is what am I going to see when I look in the eyes of Jesus. I don't want him to have to say a word. I want his eyes to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not concerned about the words, it's about the eyes. So what do we do? Every size church in America is 70 or 72 people. Every size church in the world is 40. That's average. Found out last week that we need to start 1,900 churches just to stay up with population growth a year 
And that number doesn't touch the eight churches a day that are closing in America. And it's not touching the 86% of people in America who don't go to church regularly. Which by 2020 is going to be 91% of Americans that don't go to church regularly. We're not even touching those segments. Was in Xenia on Monday. Sam, our regional leader there, went over last week and went back on Monday. Met with Bishop Wallace, professor on the campus of Wilberforce, pastor of a church in Xenia. We'd found out that 80 churches are in Xenia. 80% of Xenites, whoever they are, don't go to church regularly, even though there's 80 churches there. And so we're meeting with... Uh, with Bishop Wallace, praying, talking, how can we start some stuff with GSE on the campus of Wilberforce and Central State, because he has connections there. How do we take it into his church there? Sam's working to the same thing in Xenia, where that actual, the number's kind of high. If 20% of Xenia people go to church, that's a high number. That's cool. But it still means 80% aren't. And so we've got work to do, but you know the beautiful thing about it is we're prepared. We're priests. Pastor Dan's not more priest than you. We're all the same priest. Ready to be put into that building, ready for this thing to happen and flow in amazing ways. And so how do we touch that intrinsic motivation? For Jesus says in John 20, 21, as a father sent me, so I am sending you. Two different words for send. As the father sent me, Jesus was sent on an official commission. Then he says, as I send you is another word that means wherever I'm sending you, I'm going with you. I am going with you. Lover, you're so amazing. You're so precious because of Jesus. And that preciousness is obviously life-changing. But it also drives who we are as priests globally. Because as you pray, you're a part of what's happening globally. As you send people, you're a part of what's happening globally. It's not make-believe. It's true. And so, beloved, these are such exciting days for us to be together, to move ahead in the power and the mission of Jesus Christ. And it is fun. It is fun to hear the stories. Don't I have time to tell you of the new churches that have been started just in the last couple of weeks that I learned about? It is so much fun. But the key thing is how do we keep driving together as a church family, as priests, into the things that Jesus wants and has prepared for us? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for how amazing it is what you're doing in us, through us. So, Father, keep driving us there. And, Father, as priests, continue to make us powerful because of you. Thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for loving us so much. Thanks for viewing us as incredibly precious people of your choosing. So, Lord, drive us in that, and I pray in your name. Amen.